You're listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast, a conversation on where we are and where we're going in the world of amateur radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is Tom Parrish. Dan's letting me fly solo on this one, but he'll be back in the next episode. And I'm here today with Jim Milner, WB2REM. Hi, Jim. It's good to have you on the show with us today. Yeah, good day there, Tom. Hi, and you're in Port St. Lucie, Florida, is that correct? That's correct. It's about 100 miles north of Miami Beach. Right. Okay, so you're on the east side? The east coast of Florida, yeah. Uh, north of Palm, uh, Palm Beach as well, about uh, 45 miles north of Palm Beach. Nice. Well, I have a little background for the listeners about Jim but, you know, there's a lot about Jim uh, on his QRZ page, so I'm going to encourage you to do that. And just to give uh, kudos to another podcaster, QSO Today, did a podcast with Jim a while back, and I learned a lot about you, Jim, and, and your, uh, your brother and all these really cool things. It makes a lot of sense uh, with regards to what I know about you right now. Briefly, Jim's been a ham since 1963. You've done a number of DX expeditions. I think the most no notable thing was that you took your wife on honeymoon to an expedition to the Galapagos Islands. Was it comfortable down there? <laughs> well, that was in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> when there wasn't uh, many facilities on Santa Cruz Island where we were for our honeymoon. And uh, at the time, I had an Atlas 210X. It was a small one of the first portable radios. And I brought that along with uh, a wire antenna. <clears throat> Sorry, a wire antenna. And... Um, uh, fortunately for the wife, the electricity went off at 10 o'clock at night on the <laughs> island. <laughs> but, uh, to this day, 40 years later, uh, just about, um, I'm still hearing it about our honeymoon and, and, and the hundred contact I made. Yeah, well, okay, well, that's cool. The other thing that I know about Jim is more through a friend in Elmer here in Austin, Texas area. Jim, I know you've published 12 articles, four of them in QST. In fact, I was in the kitchen getting ready for this show with you, and I was looking over the January 2019 QST, and I saw this article by you and Gene, which I remember now, but I had completely forgotten. What, why don't you just tell us what that one's about since it's current? Well... During, after the hurricane, or during the, uh, just shortly after the hurricane um, that came by about a year ago, um, I was on the radio. Yeah. And, and uh, I got a call from Puerto Rico. And the guy in Puerto Rico was uh, pretty desperate. He was operating out on battery power. And um, he uh, requested to talk to his daughter because he needed a range of flight out of uh, Puerto Rico to go back to New Jersey. And uh, at that point, when I tried to connect it to, I realized that I didn't have a landline anymore, <clears throat> and therefore my, my phone patch wouldn't work. <laughs> so I, I, I called her up, and I kind of patched the audio through acoustically to her and was able to make the arrangements. And, uh, and then I said, you know, the Gene K5PA, you know, we got to do something about this because everybody has cell phones these days, and very few people have landlines in them. Right. So we, we came up with the idea of uh, developing a cell patch, and... Um, Put it together and um, submitted the article, and it was accepted. So it's a, it's a good and easy way for people to make foam patches these days. Uh, it requires the, the small device that we uh, put in the magazine. Uh, they can get uh, parts are pretty readily available, and uh, two cell phones to do it. That's just simply amazing. 
Right. Gene Hinkle, K5PA. Sorry, Gene, didn't mention that right off the bat. Well, we're going to be getting into more of sort of the essence of how it is you help other people like that. Um, uh, to get into, I guess, our first question here, uh, the context is, at least for the listeners who know me, I'm fairly new, about three years in, into uh, to the hobby at this point. And so a lot of things are a lot newer to me than other folks. One thing in particular, of course, was doing DX. And in another aspect of it, which is something called Remote Ham Interface, is a re- Remote Ham software that uh, is available for download for free. And Gene showed that to me and introduced me to the 7163 Net, which is uh, an amazing group of people. It's uh, prime. Would you say, uh, Jim? It's primarily focused on DX and and, and you know sharing of uh, tips and things like that. Well, well, the group has evolved. Uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about. Yeah, how talk about the, what's the essence, right. where it came from, and all that. There, there's my own personal motivation of why I got involved with seven one six three, and it wasn't really seven one six three at the time. Uh, oh. I retired in two thousand nine. Mm. Um, I'm a psychologist, and um, I enjoyed certain aspects of the job. I, I got a little tired of listening to people's problems, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, what I did like about it was the uh, social aspect of me, um, you know, in the morning coming in with a cup of coffee and sitting down with uh, sure. the worker and uh, uh, learning consultant or somebody like that and have a discussion, you know, about what's happening. And when I retired, I, I felt some sort of void in my life. Uh, this is just my own personal aspect um, that uh, I, I lost that aspect of. I didn't miss the job per se, but I missed the camaraderie uh, be, between the people at work. And um, I, I'm a, generally a early riser. And for work, I was getting up at five, five o'clock or so. So I'd start coming on the radio at five and uh, started running the same people, the same um, people who couldn't sleep or something. <laughs> uh, and we were on, we were on 7133. I see. Uh, and we, after about six months on there, we realized we were in competition with a, uh, a net that was on 7130, which was the uh, Australian net at the time. And, and someone suggested that we move up to 7163 about after six months, and that's how we got to 7163. Um, it turned out to be a very good frequency. Um, there initially turned out, it initially started out to be about five people in the group um, uh, who actually most of the people are still present uh, and, and using the group. Uh, it, these were professional type people that were engineers, mm-hmm. doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the conversation was, was quite interesting. And all of us had an interest in DX. So we started to call um, CQDX. And um, as uh, the ball rolling down the hill, more people um, got picked up um, and kept on coming in in the morning. And um, the group went from five to 10 um, and then uh, 50 and then 150, <laughs> and, and now there's about 155 members in the group, um, and we, it, I don't call, I know you mentioned net, I don't really like to call it a net, I like to call it a group, mm-hmm. because when, when you start putting a net, a labeled net on a, on, on a group, uh, then you have formalized rules, Right. and um, I'm a 60s type of person, and I sort of reject formalized rules, mm-hmm. um, and so... Um, we initially started out with no rules. Everybody came on there. It became a very large group. Um, uh, I was sort of nominated to be the somewhat official leader of the group and, and, and run in the morning and try to work the DX. And um, uh, uh, we found out very quickly, I think, 
maybe two or three years into it that uh, there had to be some rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and one of, the ma- one of the main rules is that we could not talk about politics. Yes, good, it, excellent. It, it not, just not go. And a lot of guys, uh, you know, resistance is futile, but um, I mean, everybody, I, I get tested at least once or twice a week with it. I mean, and it could be subtle, subtle comments or, you know, uh, but I, I always uh, shut it down and say, you want to talk about it, go off frequency. Because whenever you do that, you start getting conflicts. And I can tell you that the people in 7163 are, are, are extremely diverse. Right. And, and that we, we like each other. We're good friends. We party together in Orlando during the Orlando Ham Fest. Mm-hmm. We will do any, almost anything for each other, but we are, there's a good number of people are extremely, uh, have different views on, on, on politics. And if we ignore that, we like each other a whole lot. Well, I think that's really wise. And let me just toss in what made it possible again, which you could talk about a little bit more, is the fact that you and Gene had come up in, with um, a rather no- – well, that wasn't totally novel, but I mean in particular it was novel in the way you guys used the remote ham interface software. So even though I have a you know barefoot kind of setup here, as they say, with a wire antenna – I you know I can try to he- I can barely hear you guys in the morning, but if I go directly into your remote ham interface from my remote ham client, I can hear you guys just as clear as a bell. Yeah, then that's the beauty of it. Um, our our group, um, which meets at five o'clock in the morning Eastern to about seven thirty Eastern, mm-hmm. uh, has at most times three remote hams links on there. Now you can get the remote ham software at remote hams plural. Right. dot com free and um, you can download it and then upload your li- copy of your license so people can review it and then you can go to different sort of stations check into it and um, you can ask permission to transmit so uh, that's how it works so since we have three remotes on there in the morning uh, when the dx comes in if for, uh, for some reason somebody locally within the country giving the skip is not heard in florida right then on a link uh, could go to a link in uh, missouri or a link in um uh, Ohio and listen in as well. So everybody is able to hear at some point or another. If they can't, they can come in through one of the links. Uh, it's sort of unique that way. It's uh, sort of like a satellite of the internet connections that are on the outside of the group uh, running. And um, we we make our group uh, as friendly as possible. Uh, you, you probably have heard that. Uh, I yeah, I mean, there, there's some people that are new to it, they understand the, the procedure, uh, you know, I try to be patient with them, and and, um, uh, and then they seem to come back, and they seem to like it, and uh, after maybe four or five or six times, uh, they become an official member of the group, uh, which it's just a matter of sending, like, their, their picture and a bio, bio. Mm-hmm. and that's all listed on our website on 7163net.com. Uh, 7163net.com. And so if you talk to somebody on the group and you want to find out about them, you can go to the members page, click on their, their picture, or their call and the picture and, and read their bio. And um, we feature the new members for about a month uh, when they come on. So when people get to know them from our website, they come on, they feel friendly to them as well. 
Cool. Well, I think that's what really attracted me to it. Although my problem locally was I didn't have a microphone that was working too well through there. But I'll, I'll get through that. The thing that really st stuck out to me as a fairly new ham in all of this was the camaraderie, as you mentioned, uh, the ease with which you could get in, I mean, listen and be a part of that. It was not a lot of formal rules also, as you had mentioned. And it just like, well, okay, this is kind of like sitting around a table with a bunch of other guys drinking coffee and, and women too. As, that's the other thing. It's a nice mixed group. There's a number of other women that, that call in. So it's great. There's a number of women that come in there. We currently we have VE0JS Maritime Mobile. I don't know if you've heard her on in the morning, but wow. she's yeah, she's currently uh, on a round the world trip. Um, you can find out more information about her on VE0J on the VE0JS QRZ page, and she has a website through there as well. But we have her. She's 76 years old. She's attempting to set the world record for the oldest person to circumnavigate the Earth. Uh, oh. non yeah, nonstop. Uh, around the world unassisted so she can't stop she can't get help uh, and she's 76 she's done it once <laughs> she's the oldest woman that's done it now she's trying to set the oldest person and as of last night at 2 a.m uh, she crossed uh, uh, around the cape horn in south america which is a pretty big task uh, given the waves and the weather down there off you know between antarctica and south america how fascinating and and so does she check in every week or two or something like that or Every day, three times a day, we schedule with her to get position reports. Then we upload that to her V0JS QRZ page. And therefore, uh, people can follow her and see almost within miles of where she is at the moment by our, our radio communications. Uh, on her last trip, uh, one of the waves uh, rocked the boat pretty hard, and, and her lap laptop got broken. The screen got broken. Oh. So uh, for the last maybe uh, three months of her trip, uh, she personally dictated all her emails to me, and then I, I sent them out, me and some other people that were involved in it. So we, we forwarded a thousand emails when she had no communication. Wow. Um, so that call sign again was VE0KS. Did I have that right? Oh. Victor Echo Zero Juliet Sierra. Her oh. name is Kasakerchi. She's a British woman. Mm -hmm. And she's been recognized, uh, awarded some sort of award from the Queen of England as well from her last trip. Far out. Okay. Well, and just... we, also have, uh, we also have some other interesting people. We have Ra Raul Midan that comes on uh, quite often. He's a, uh, a jazz uh, blues singer. Um, he's <laughs> around the world. And whenever he goes to places like China or, you know, Germany or whatever, he comes on the remote through the remote hams or his, remote, his own remote station. Mm -hmm. and, um, he's a re relatively pretty, uh, you know, pretty famous um, ham. Yeah, I think I heard him one time. That was that was amazing. Well, yeah, uh, I was going to say that we have Nancy. She's a section manager from North Dakota, a, a KG0YL. We have cam uh, 4 att uh, with Violetta. She started coming on our group at 11 years old. She's now 14. And uh, <laughs> Violetta's sister and the whole family, they're um, in Pennsylvania. And um, we have another young guy from North Carolina. So we have young kids. We have... Uh, women we have a mixture of uh, people and, and that makes me feel that the group is it feels safe to people and i want to make it continue to be safe so that people like this can enter the group wow now that just that just warms my heart that's just really good so with regards to travel then and and the expansiveness of the group um you, I know you do a lot with the Caribbean islands. At least I, in the past, when I've I've uh, listened in, is is it uh, partly because they're close by? But you've been a, um, I don't know if you're sponsoring people or helping people, but you've done a lot with Cuba in particular. Do I have that right? 
Yes. Um, well, I operated from Guantanamo Bay uh, first. Oh. And, uh, my call is KG for Hotel India. And there were some issues that I had down there. I can't get into here, but <laughs> and it, it, it motivated me to go to real, real Cuba. I'll call it real Cuba. And um, so at that point, um, I sent an email to everybody I talked to in, in Cuba over the last 10 years. Wow. Uh, that uh, a few years ago, and I, got, I was lucky. I got hit the vice president of their radio call, but he gave it to uh, CO2KL Roberto, who helped coordinate with me. And uh, all said and done, we ended up having one of the first uh, U.S. Uh, Cuba DX expeditions uh, for the CQ Worldwide Contest 2015. And uh, uh, we were on the cover of CQ magazine. So it was all because I wasn't going back to Guantanamo that this whole thing happened. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So you. Uh, so, so I was going to say, so I've returned back to Cuba. Uh, five times now to uh, Havana and throughout the whole country. I've traveled here recently. There's different times I go different places. And I really find the place to be fascinating. I mean, the old cars, uh, people are very friendly. I don't feel at, at all um, uh, affected by police or anything like that. I feel more threatened in New York than I do in Havana. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's just a drawback in time. And uh, it's relatively cheap to go and close by here. So that's why I keep them going back because it's a very mystery place to me. And, and I, I enjoy those sort of places like you know, Cuba, the Galapagos, Russia during communism. I went there during that as well. Right? But you've also done a lot of DX expeditions, if I understand, right? What is it that sort of draws you to these things? It seems like you're going um, multiple times during the year at times. Yeah, uh, the wife has uh, limited me right now because uh, last <laughs> I went to the Galapagos, uh, it was the middle of the hurricane. And <laughs> you're not going between May and, and October anywhere. <laughs> so, so now I've limited it too. So this year I'm going back to the Galapagos uh, February 27th to March 6th with a, a guy who hasn't been there before. Uh-huh. And we're up um, on top of uh, a volcano on the Santa Cruz Island at the wow. uh, on uh, 15 acres surrounded by huge tortoises and a, uh, and a house that's uh, totally almost all glass from floor to ceiling uh, and a beautiful view of you looking down the volcano towards the water. So it's, it's going to be a great operation from uh, from Santa Cruz uh, Island. Um, uh, Santa Cruz Island, uh, part of the Galapagos. Um, I enjoy traveling because in college, uh, I had a choice between psychology and anthropology. And... Um, I, I sort of got the truck go back before that, the travel bug for my parents. My parents did a lot of traveling. Actually, they went to their honeymoon in, in Havana and Cuba. Uh, but they used to take us to Puerto Rico, take us to uh, different places in the Caribbean uh, uh, when we were growing up. So they did a lot of traveling and kind of instilled in myself and my son. He's My son's going to Southeast Asia next week to a number of those countries. So uh, when I got to college, uh, I had a strong interest in, in, in culture. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I had a choice between psychology and anthropology and even geology. Those are some of the areas. And anthropology fascinated me, but I really couldn't see how you can make money in anthropology. So I, 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 I chose psychology. And so when we go to these DX expeditions, unlike uh, like Bouvet or some of the other places, I like to go to a place where I can uh, get myself into the culture as well as operate the radio. Yeah. And that means that there has to be more than one operator. And um, I like that as much as operating the radio, uh, so, which, is a, which is a good thing. And um, so 
when, when I was in Galapagos, for example, um, while two of the operators were operating, uh, Nancy KG0YL myself climbed the volcano and, and did a 14-mile hike. When we got back, we took over, and the other people with us took a, uh, a bike ride uh, uh, down the trail. So uh, we're not just staying there and operating and sleeping. It's, uh, it's a whole experience. Well, that makes it rather exciting. I didn't know about that, uh, although I've been intrigued. I'll, I'll have to say that. What's your favorite operating mode when you're on these de-expeditions? By default, they, they put me on CW a lot because usually the people I'm going with don't do CW. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can go crazy there. you know. And my CW skills are okay. Uh, I'll call it that. Um, I got you know, licensed when I was 11. And I did CW as a novice for a year because that's what was required back then. And, um, yeah, yeah, of course. words a minute because that's what required to get the general. And then I got the 20 words a minute. Uh, you know, and since I learned Morse code at an early age, uh, that's a big trick here. If you want to teach somebody Morse code, you've got to teach them at an early age to get where I'm at with it, uh, I think, or else a lot of work. But uh, I-, I copy uh, comfortably about 50 words a minute. <laughs> Okay, I'm not worthy. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm one of those that started really late in the game, so I could see where having started earlier would have made a huge difference. I mean, the only thing I have it to compare to, my dad played the drums. He was an engineer, but he played all through his life, and he taught me how to play. So I know percussion left and right, up and down, and in, you know, six six dimensions. I can just hear it and know it. And I'm like, geez, you know, I don't know how you get to that in CW. But then again, I have to remember, I've been doing it for a lot of years. And as you've been doing that, boy, to be able to copy that kind of quickly, that would really be, that would really be wonderful. Part of the thing is, is my mother was a musician um, and she could play all instruments. And I could not play instruments for for beans, like a trumpet or a hitherka. But something about the uh, the musical sense of Morse, I think I've heard that skill. Not that I'm mu- mu- musical, but I could take the notes. I hear when I hear Morse code, I hear music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth. No, I've, uh, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I don't write anything down in code. Everything appears in my head as as words. And the CW, yes, yeah, how, how do you do that? But I, I see word blocks. I don't see individual letters. One of my biggest hassles, uh, one of the trouble, biggest troubles I have in CW is copying under twenty words a minute. If the guy goes under 20 words a minute, I can't copy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm copying letters in my head. In there, and, and by the time they get to the end of the word, the word's disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a sense of that. I have a sense of that from having taken CW Ops course and they force us to do 25 to 30. Not that I can head copy that well at, at that point, but it's like, okay, yeah, this is huge difference. You just come through in blocks, basically. And, and what I do is at this level, at a slower speed of 35 words a minute. <laughs> 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 the X Expedition, um, I can copy three stations at one time. So I write three calls down, and then I come back to all three of them without taking, a, you know, not going QRZ again. Oh. And that, you get to a good skill of CW. If you can copy three calls at one time, you're, you're good. And you write those down? Um, I, I, yeah, I have to put something down at that point because yeah. I, I'm, I'm making the conversation and then I go back to the next guy and the next guy and it, and it increases the, the speed at which you work uh, contact. I'm glad to hear you say that because it was a, uh, last year was sort of my first year to involve myself into contesting and I was using Gene's uh, field remotely, which was great. 
Thank you, Gene. And in the evening, I managed to get, I think it was DXCC, I don't know what it was. But anyway, I was working someone in, in Europe. It might have been Belgium or it could have been Germany. I don't remember. And uh, they were they were busy. It was kind of fast. Anything for me is pretty fast. And I kept trying to get through. I kept trying to get through. You know, I think I spent a minute or two at it, which seems like an eternity when you're waiting, right? And uh, I just uh, I just said, well, this is just not going to happen. He's not going to hear me. And suddenly, out of the, uh, you know, he, he answered someone, he answered someone, he answered someone. And I hadn't said anything in maybe 10, 15 seconds. Easy. Because I was getting a drink of water. And suddenly, I hear my call sign. Just out of the clear blue. And it was him. <laughs> and, it's like wow that's amazing he must have written it down or remembered that one or whatever the case may be but it just kind of opened me up to a wider range of what was possible yeah and it's uh, cw is a great load i I enjoy it quite a bit but you know i when i go on these dx expeditions i have to alternate between the two um cw and cyban because it gets a a bit tiring at times uh during that um i usually can make uh maybe about six contacts a minute yeah oh wow yeah every 10 seconds wow that's phenomenal what's the fastest well you, i guess you've worked with other cw ops uh, on those dx uh the expeditions that are faster than you no <laughs> <laughs> okay so you're kind of it <laughs> they're faster than me at one thing okay what's that i, I, I was at the uh, timonian ham fest uh, doing a presentation at that time on echolink because i was involved in echolink and during the right before the presentation, they they said, uh, "Okay, go to building B. We're we're having the left foot CW con." <laughs> I said to my friend, my friend said, "Enter it." I said, "I have I have to do a presentation here. Said, go and enter it." Okay, so <laughs> I sat down and, and and this thing, and it's a huge key on the floor. And you sit in the chair, and you got to do your left foot and kind of lift it up and kind of push down. You know, yeah, yeah, with your foot still in the air. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I sent whatever it was, and I and I said, "That's it. I'm out of here," and I left <laughs> to, uh, to do my presentation on Echolink. And I hear in the speaker, "Attention, we have the winner of the left-footed CW contest, WB2REM, <laughs> 35 words a minute." <laughs> that's where they can beat me. <laughs> well, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right, so Jim, I have a I have a newbie question. I'll just be honest with you palms up here i'm quite mystified with how to get into the process of learning much less learning it well of managing uh, pileups well, you know, whether it's dx or um you know some contest for that matter i mean it's kind of the same issue um what what are, what are your what are your tips if you were trying to instruct me to be calm and you know focus on these things first what, what would get me from point a to point b Okay, um, from you want me to talk from the DX side and from the other side? Yeah, yeah. Okay. From the DX side, uh, from my DX operations, um, uh, I'll let you know into a secret. If, you, if you're saying to somebody, I'm listening up three or whatever it is, yeah. plus or minus, um, your best bet probably to work the guy is to go at the upper ends of the frequency, maybe even above the three that they say up three or whatever, uh, because when I'm, if, if you're a DX station, you're, you're being clobbered by a lot of other stations that you here in the U S or let's say somewhere else. It's not, they're not hearing the, the total uh, pileup. You're only hearing a part of the pileup. And down there, 
I would rather move away from everybody and try to go to the edge to get somebody than, than to uh, struggle through the big pileup. So that's w- one thing is try to move to the edge. Uh, is, is one of the things when you're calling from the from the uh, calling the DX station. Okay. Uh, another thing is is that I find that when operating DX, I, I have little tricks that I do. With, they probably don't like me about it, but if I'm looking for a DX station, um, I'm going to look for the last guy that worked them, and I'm going to hop on his frequency to try it again. And that works for the most time if you have a good station. If you don't, uh, can, everybody else is doing about the same. If you're not doing it, you better start doing it. Is <laughs> the frequency, but. If you want to be with me and be a little coy with the other people, I purposely make a contact and just randomly turn the dial. Some people go up one, down one, down one, down one. So if you see a pattern of the DX station going down one at a time, and let's say they're on 63, go to 64 to call them next, or, or go up, let's say, or go to 65 after the next contact. So move up one, you know, look at the increments that he's moving up. With me, I try to trick people. I'll just randomly go anywhere, purpose, so that they don't go on my frequency I was last and so they'll, they'll learn, don't go on the frequency afterwards, find somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that bothers them a little bit because they can't do their old techniques of uh, <laughs> how, how to work me. Um, uh, as far as, uh, so uh, I would say, listen carefully as a DX station, trying to work the DX, follow the patterns, um, don't be rude. Make sure you're not transmitting on the uh, the DX frequency uh, mm-hmm. uh, by mistake, and uh, have patience and follow propagation. Look at the uh, the signal strength. See, you know, are, are Europeans? Is he working mostly Europeans? Don't even call him. Yeah. If he if he's working um, East Coast, give a break. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'll purposely on when I'm a DX station. Uh, call uh, well. I, I've taken a new philosophy in being a DX station here lately, uh, and that is that I'm not calling uh, areas. I'm letting propagation take care of it. I know it's not a great thing, and occasionally I change that. So cause I'll say QRZ because what I found was that if I said okay, US only, I'm only working US, US only. Then I get some people in, in, in uh, Europe that starts QRMing me or QRM my frequency. If I say uh, US only, uh, Europe only, then I get people from US QRMing me. So what I figure is I'll let, I'll let the propagation take care of itself. Everybody's happy. Everybody has a chance to call, but I'm going to work with people I can hear. Mm-hmm. And that's who's, who's in propagation. You know? That makes sense. makes a lot of sense. So, again, propagation is the big thing. Look at the signal strength. See if it's raising. Look at the patterns from the day before. If you, It's a rare DX station. Try to get the DX station on the first day that they come on, I find. Because mm-hmm. after the first day, the pileups just get really large. Or wait to the end when, after everybody worked them. Okay, good tip. So, anything else there? Or we want to slip uh, slip to the other side. Calling in. Okay. Yeah. Well, calling in is, is based. I've kind of gone back and forth with yeah. that. With well, that. That's but, true. Yeah. You have to uh, scan the frequencies, look at the pattern, look at your propagation, uh, have patience, don't be rude, right, and right, right. call your stations when you can. Do you use an SDR, or are you just at that level? Uh, where? No, I'm using SDR radio. I have ICOM 7600, which does quite well for me. And um, uh, SDR has, has a lot of advantages of uh, different slices of frequencies and stuff you can use. Um, I'm pretty satisfied with what I have right now um, uh, with the 7600. You got the 7610? Is that what it is? The dual? I, I like to have a 7610. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I ask is uh, another Elmer, a person actually I, I worked with for years at, at Motorola is uh, Jim George, N3BB. 
and um, <laughs> he has no computer in his in his shack. Uh, he has one that he uses for logging. Uh, it, it's got it's a nineteen eighty four vintage or something like that. Runs DOS, but other than that, he doesn't bring the internet in. He doesn't. Uh, uh, you know, he just runs two radios and he doesn't look at an SDR or, or a spotting tool. He just does it all by ear, which to me has always been pretty amazing. Well, that's nice. I remember the days when you didn't have the uh, DX clusters and you had to search your, on your own. But now once the, once the uh, content gets posted, then you're, you're done for. you got a big pile. So that's another tip. Start looking around for people. Don't rely on the DX cluster because if you can find them before they get posted, your, your chances increase significantly. Oh, good point. Right. All right. Well, any other tips? I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you dial down, and you hear a big pile up, uh, or you know, you start calling and people start piling up on you. I mean, from as far as a really basic, you know, just getting started when you're th- sort of thrown by the whole thing, you just pick the hot, the lo- the loudest signal and start working it down from that. Yeah, I mean, I do. Yeah, I do that on DX. Sometimes I call for weak signals too. I'll call for QRP. Everybody stand by. You know, I want to give the QRP people a chance. But oh, that's cool. one thing, I, yeah, one thing I need to let people know, at least the newcomers, and that is, make sure you include a self-addressed stamp envelope for DX stations. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I need. I can't uh, emphasize that more. Uh, and make sure you include a stamp on it and the return address uh, on it. Um, because I'm afraid to say that after so many DX expeditions and, and the cost of these, these expeditions cost, uh, that uh, people are, DXers are a little bit hesitant, unless it's an extre- extreme circumstance, uh, uh, to send out a card if there's no uh, return postage. Uh, now, I did get a guy uh, sent me $2, a $2 bill from Sylvania or somewhere. And, um, and I said, and he said, this is my last $2. <laughs> <laughs> And so I said, you know, I said to my wife, mm, I think I need to send this $2 back to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even if she collects $2 bill. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right. Well, okay. I, I think that, that covers uh, at least some of my curiosity. I'm sure I could sit down for quite a, a while with you, not to mention the opportunity sometime to just sit, watch, and listen would be very instructive. So thanks for that part. Jim, I hear you're an early adopter of technology. In fact, I know you are based on all the conversations with Gene and seeing the papers you've been writing. Looking ahead, as you well know, we have a, an acceleration of technology uh, coming on board in many different directions around the world globally. It's not just little pockets around the world that are doing technology anymore. What technology changes are going to affect ham operations in the next two to three years? What do you, what do you see as going to make a big difference? The evolution. So let me just talk about the evolution first. Yeah. Uh, my own evolution. Well, I'll do that. Okay. When I, when I was 11 years old, um, what excited me about ham radio at that time was bicycle mobile on two meters with a, a tube, two meter radio, a big car battery, and an antenna on the back of my bicycle. That's what excited me <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, after that point, I got involved with Simplex Auto Patches and um, was able to make phone calls on Simplex uh, and, and then learned how to, to make that equipment, a uh, Simplex uh, sampler. Uh, then I um, and, and used that technology and t- with talking to people on the radio and created the first remote control link that was in the QST in 1995. Actually, the first article was 1986 in, 
and 73 magazine called The Missing Link. So I've been involved in remote control operations since the 80s before it was even heard of. I was in the movie, uh, The New World of Amateur Radio, 1988, mm-hmm. with my remote control link. I was uh, interviewed in, uh, um, by Bill Pasternak, um, partly because of the, uh, the referral from K6DUE, Roy Neal. He was a NBC News anchor there, um, or reporter of like space uh, launches and things like that. Um, from, I, and I designed this equipment. Uh, without any electronic experience. Um, I've said this on the other podcast that when I grew up on ham radio, my, my brother was the builder and I was the gopher. So I thought I had no really electronic skills. Uh, then I um, started getting involved in the simplex patching and then uh, remote linking. Uh, and I had some skills, apparently. Uh, uh, QST published my article in 1995 with a two-page schematic. And people ask me, you know, how did you come up with that idea? I said, you know, I put a little piece, little schematics on the napkins, put them all together, and there it is. So <laughs> they said, the engineer, so we would have never thought about doing it that way. <laughs> I didn't know better. You know? Um, so then I got involved with um, internet linking. I had an article on that, and um, uh, and then won the cover plaque award in 2002 on um, a new band for your radio. And um, for internet linking and, and echo link. And then the next logical step was remote hams, which is a great program. It's fantastic. And I encourage anybody that they want to get involved with remote control linking. It's very simplest, simplistic to do as far at least on the receiving side of it. And, um, you know, listening in and, you know, transmitting is it really isn't that hard if you set up your own station. It's just a matter of setting up a server. Right. So where's it going from here? Um, well, we have the, um, FT8, which Gene and I, K5PI, were early adapters of FT8. And we've um, uh, written articles on that too recently. There was an article in October uh, CQ Magazine, I believe. Mm -hmm. We have so many articles that came out this year, but um, uh, that uh, uh, talks about the the top 10 uh, facts about FT8. And FT8, it's a great mode for me. I I like the semi-automation of it, uh, where you can... um, let your computer do a lot of the work and you, you intervene and, and make the contacts to me, that's, uh, that's amazing. But to a lot of people, that's not amazing. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they see, uh, uh, the intrusion of computers into our, our right. radio operating. And it's hard to accept just like the, the people when I started in 1960s, um, AM was prevalent on the handbands and there wasn't sideband in 1963 or, or just the beginning of it. My first entry was on double sideband, which was like six cases uh, wide. But um, the, uh, the, the people did not accept sideband. When they came on there, they, I forget what they called it, uh, monkey chatter or whatever they may have called it at that time, but they, they really? sure didn't like it. Wow. Yeah, eventually adapt, uh, adapted. But, you know, the old-timers had their big kilowatt transmitters with the AM stations and the whole thing. So um, I kind of see that now and, and uh, uh, that people don't accept things that are new, and that's logically from a psychological standpoint, but I think it's catching on. I, you know, I've already talked to 50,000 stations on FTA in the last year and a half. When I go, I, I go big time. You do, don't you? <laughs> People have said, uh, yeah, we used to hear you every day on 20 meters. I haven't heard you in a year. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm giving up, uh, I, on FTA, I'm number 18 in the world or something like that in, in grid awards. <laughs> 
like 10,000 or something like that. And that was all totally up to eight. So where are we going from here? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Right. Where do we go from here? I don't know if you want to ask me because uh, I'm, I'm too progressive in that. I mean, eventually, I like to see radio talk to radios uh, voice-wise. Yeah. You know, I, I like to see something like FT8, but fully automatic, pre-recorded mm-hmm. things. It calls, looks for people, calls them, and makes the contact. And you're not even there. But people are not going to like that at all. You know, why have ham radio that way? <laughs> well, it's your stations making the contact. Right. <laughs> So, so that's, I mean, that's one thing. Um, I, I see that the introduction of the computers into ham radio is a benefit for maybe attracting uh, younger people into the hobby. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, and, and that's. The, uh, I'm not sure we'll get into that topic, but we will. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come to when we come to that. But in the future, I see more automation. I see better designs of radio that'll help us get to that point. Uh, people like Gene that are in it. In innovative and, and find ways of, uh, you know, doing things like that. Uh, that's where I can see it going, but a lot of people are going to like that, but that's maybe 10%, you know, the 90% is going to be traditional ham radio, maybe 50 years from now. I think there may be less people on the band. Uh, I hate to say it, but, um, I also think that there'll be a lot of vanity calls available by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, along that line, if, uh, for those, you know, you probably haven't heard any of the previous shows. We we interviewed uh, Ward, Ward Silver, which is, is going up here shortly, and then Scott Wright, which was a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the topic of automation to some degree, and one of the things that I've uh, proposed is knowing, you know, working with the younger crowds from a startup community, which is what I do. They love working in teams, and they, they enjoy the idea of global um, things that are global. And... You know, I think the march of automation and AI in particular, since the AI area is where I have most of my expertise, is inevitable. It's happening globally now. And kids are growing up with this. And so the idea of automating the machines is, is, is kind of like when chess was first, uh, you know, first beat uh, the champion in the late 1990s. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought chess was just going to go away. Why would you want to play it? Why would you have competitions when computers could beat you? One of the things that happened was they came up with freestyle chess where you could have a team and you could have, uh, and you have as many people as you want on it, but you still have to make a move in 30 minutes or whatever the standard time is. I can have a team. I can have three or four simulators running and someone managing the network. And, but someone, some person has to make a decision. So when I think of like global competitions, potentially like FT8, where the sun, the earth is rotating and the sun is changing the propagation uh, in real time, having teams that compete with one another, whether they're using automated machines or not, but someone has to make a decision about this and that, you know, with regards to what the contact is in the end could make a real difference. It could be a lot of fun. You have, you have um, a relationship with the machines and the better you are with that, the better you will be. But the relationship you have with the team, we, let's say there's a requirement, you have, have to have different people in different countries. Um, then that builds a little camaraderie on a global scale. So that's one of the things I'm looking for. I always try to introduce that when I can. Well, you know, there is a challenge uh, and then, uh, of putting a station together that can be fully automated in that sense. And, yeah. and, and how do you make your station better than the next station? How do you make your, exactly. your auto better? Uh, and I, I think it's going to require, if they go that route, and I think I honestly believe, and I've been pretty good in prediction of what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I, I, 
I almost got hung for for supporting Echolink back in 1990. Uh, you know, <laughs> I caught a lot of crap from people about that. But look where Echolink is now, and, and, and internet linking and everything. You know, I mean, but uh, so uh, it, it, I'm not saying that this is going to be everything. This is going to be 10 percent, maybe, or 20 percent. You get these people that are very interested in computers and integrating with radio. Uh, maybe they'll they'll designate a portion of the band 14105, and so everybody that's automated will go on that 105, and robots will talk to robots there, or something like that, or you know, voice frequency. So, uh, but I'm not implying or suggesting that ham radio will disappear in a normal form. But I think in order to uh, to attract people in the future, you're going to need other levels of interest because ham radio and um, cell phones uh, are mutually, not mutually exclusive, exclusive. And uh, you, uh, why the, the question you get from most people, I thought ham radio was dead. Why talk on the ham radio when you have a phone? And that's, that's the big problem right now. I, I you think, I think you have to get above the, the point of just talking because you can, and, and teenagers and, and, and from I'm a child psychologist, these days do not like to talk to each other. They like to text each other. So this is another reason why the computer should be involved uh, for at least keeping our numbers up or else we won't be here in the future. I agree. I, I, I you know, that's, we're pretty much on the same, you know, people also have this, as you, as you mentioned earlier, and all these transitions in technology, when something changes, they have this way of sort of assuming in a binary way, this is new, so the old is out. Well, no, no one said the old was going away. <laughs> you know, so it's sort of strange how that happens. Anyway, let's move on. So, you know, that brings us right into what do you think about younger hams? You're doing some things already, and this is a big topic for Dan, is getting ARRL involved in more and more uh, younger ham activities, and, and it's a big deal for him, and, and Elmering is something really important to him. And what do you see more the hams could do, or just anyone could do to get hams interested uh, at a younger age? Well, I think you, it's done a lot already. The hams, ham community does a lot to expose people into it. It's whether they want to go in that route. Okay, you know, they have uh, public uh, demonstrations and things like that. But you have to, to bring them in to pull them in somehow. Uh, and it's going to get increasingly harder. Um, I'm not sure, you know, there are the techie sort of guys that might get into it, the computer guys for FT8. They're going to have to find a niche, and you're going to have to expose them to a niche that they, they really want to uh, encourage them to get into the radio. So I, right now, for my, my standpoint, uh, the 7163 group, we, we do everything that we can to support the young people to come on frequency, and then they tell their friends. So it's, it's nice that way. And we, we even provide stuff. Uh, there was one uh, person that didn't have a computer to run FT8, so somebody on the frequency volunteered to send it to her, uh, things like that. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I think that just being kind to them, not to be negative, uh, sometimes there's some negativity that goes on the radio to expose them to uh, radio through uh uh, computer clubs or scouts or other things that they're, they're continuing to do now is, is my only uh, solution to it. And again, it may not be in the same form in the future as it yeah. is right now. These people may not want to talk. I mean, uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's just the way society is right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting having you said that. I've never had anyone just say it direct like that. That, that's, that really kind of, because um, like a penny drop for me around that it's like this constant tug of war of but if we could just get them to you know change but i look at my kids and my grandkids and 
And um, and the world that I helped create as far as, you know, being in the PC industry, computer industry since the 80s. And that's where we are. So, you know, how do you get along with them? Well, last question, just for fun. Jim, if you were emperor, what would you change now about ham radio? Regulations, technology, sunspots? Well, uh, obviously sunspots, although <laughs> it's a challenge to operate the low-cycle low sunspots and still work uh, 300 countries, let's say. So you have challenges in the low and challenges in the high. Um, but right now, because of FT8, I have not really seen much of a difference uh, between work and DX in the high spot, you know, high times and the, the low times right now. FT8 just makes up for it completely. So I suggest if you guys are, are listening in or gals uh, and you haven't worked much DX during the low spot, get on FT8, very low signal, um, you know, like uh, uh, 4 dBs, uh, 4 S units below the noise level, and they still can hear you. They're not going to hear you on voice for that. So, uh, um uh, the, as far as regulations go, I, I think that regulations are pretty much appropriate. Uh, um, there are a number of people on the bands that are destructive in that way, where they purposely violate the, the re- regulations. I mean, uh, uh, there's cursing that goes on and things like that. That mm-hmm. yeah, I believe that Laura Smith and people like that need to get on it right away, and and, and they have done a pretty good job recently on, on that. Um, uh, the uh, as far as expansion of frequencies, I, I don't understand why, and maybe there's some other reasoning behind it, but I can go to Cuba or I can go to Ecuador and operate a, a below 14, 150, let's say, on 20 meters, but why in the world are we not allowed to operate uh, down there on that spectrum with all the people that we have? And when Canada, right above us, can, uh, only, we're the only ones, I think, that can't operate in there. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, wow. why? I don't know. And so that's what, an issue I have, uh, you know, what, what is the rationale? Is it something to do with it? I, I have no idea. Well, maybe that's something we need to change. Yeah, so that's, you have to what the regulations that, to me, those, like, on 40 meters as well, unless they're trying to keep us out of their ban, you know, to get peace from us. <laughs> <laughs> keep those yanks out. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. It's been informative, it's been entertaining, and um, and insightful. And I'm grateful for your willingness to share. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the No Nonsense Amateur Radio Podcast with Dan, KB6NU, and Tom, KB5RF. For links to internet resources mentioned on the show and other notes, visit nonsenseamateurradio.com. For more information about amateur radio in general, visit Dan's blog at kb6nu.com. 73.